Joshua. We're going to do Joshua 3 and 4 tonight. Really liked this study. Really, really enjoyed it. Uh, this is the crossing of the Jordan. And this is kind of a big deal because this is those first steps in going into the promised land here. Is They are now ready. And as they cross the Jordan, they're crossing the Jordan as a military might. If I remember correctly off the top of my head, there's 40,000 soldiers that are going to be crossing this Jordan to go through. Now a little bit of background here because we're not going to cover every aspect of this. But they're crossing the Jordan during the floodplain time. Now, if you think about it from the perspective of the people living in the Promised Land here, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, etc., they're going to sit there and they're going to say, okay, we know Israel's coming. There's a three million nation moving towards us. We know they're coming. We know what they want to do. Well, they're not going to attack us during the flood season because who can cross the Jordan during the floodplain? It's impossible. And so what does God do? God works in taking care of the impossibles. And so they go during the flood season, and that's when they decide to cross the Jordan. And as they cross the Jordan, they just don't cross the Jordan. They cross the Jordan on dry ground. I love that part of it. Absolutely love it. And so here we are. Joshua's taking the nation up, and they're going to cross this Jordan on dry ground. 40,000 men are going to cross over, and that's the initial army that goes over to fight. And I heard one commentator said, too, as soon as they cross the Jordan, the Jordan comes back on itself. Well, how are they supposed to get back to their family? They can't. It's kind of sometimes one of those faith things. If you walk in faith and God then shuts the door behind you to say, okay, I got you, now you're going to keep moving forward. So often as Christians and as humans, sometimes we look for the easiest way of escape. You know, after they cross the Jordan during the floodplain and the water comes back down behind them, those 40,000 men are now committed. They are in enemy territory. They are in foreign land. They only have one thing to do, and that's to conquer. And so there it's the story behind that here tonight. Well, so with that being said, Joshua chapter 3, Verse 1, it says, And Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Micaiah Grove, and came to the Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they crossed over. So it was after three days that the officers went through the camp, and the command of the people said, When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priest, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. So, they get everybody on the one side of the Jordan, and they're saying, now it's time to cross over. And what we're going to do is, when you see the Ark of the Covenant going out, then you follow it. How's that? Is that the, the simplest point in the whole Bible? When you see God moving, you follow Him. That's how it is. Don't go before the Ark of the Covenant. When you see the Ark, which is a picture of God's presence in the Old Testament, it's a picture of Jesus. When you see the Ark moving, you move. Same thing happens today. When God moves, you move with Him. When God says stop, you stop. When God says hover, you hover. That's the best thing to do. See, so often as Christians, we get it backwards. I want to move, so I go. I go out in front of the Ark of the Covenant. Well, if they would have went out in front of the Ark of the Covenant, they would have drowned in the Jordan. Well, if they would have lagged too far behind, as you see here, they would have got lost. Look at the end of verse 4. There was supposed to be this 2,000 cubit space between them. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. See, you also don't want to get too far behind God, because when you get too far behind God, you get confused and you get lost. So it's really simple. When God moves, you move. Stay close to Him, so that way you can see what He's doing, and so therefore you know where to go. If you get in front of Him, you don't know where you're supposed to go, and if you get too far behind, you're going to get lost. He leads you. The Ark of the Covenant represents that God being there. So the Ark of the Covenant moves out. They follow. Verse 5, And Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourself, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Then Joshua spoke to the priests, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant, cross over before the people. 
So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. And the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that I was with Moses, so I will be with you. You shall command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you have come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. Now this is a key difference here. When they parted the Red Sea, you have this great picture of Moses standing there and spreading his arms, and the Red Sea parts dramatically. We've all seen the Ten Commandments. Okay, it's different. See, Joshua was at the parting of the Red Sea. So he knows how God did it. God says, I'm going to do it totally different this time. The waters aren't going to part until you stick your foot in. And you've heard us say out here before, sometimes you've got to get your foot wet. If you don't get your foot wet, the water's not going to part. Now, if I was in Joshua's perspective, I'd be like, okay, God, yeah, I've seen you do this before. Moses, I get it. I know the whole thing. I stand on the rock. My big beard looks nice, and I open my arms, and the waters part. God says, I'm doing it totally different this time. And see, this is what happens. You may have had a great spiritual success in your life, and God really used you mightily. Same situation pops up again. So often as humans, we say, well, this is what worked in the past. This is what we're going to do now. God says, no, I, I want to do something different. And a lot of us as humans, when God says, I want to do something different, that automatically makes us nervous. We don't like change. We fear change. Lord, just keep it the same. But yet when God wants to do something a little different, what does he want to do? He wants to take you out of your comfort zone. I just heard a guy tell me this week, and I love this phrase, he wants to broaden your comfort zone and therefore make you a better minister for him. The priest had to get their feet wet before anything would happen. And how many of us sitting here tonight has something on our heart where God wants you to do it, but you're not going to do it until it's fully explained and understood until you see the big picture? You're not willing to get your feet wet. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says we walk by faith, not by sight. You have to get your foot wet in faith sometimes before God takes care of parting the Jordan. And how many times as Christians do we stand on the banks of the river saying, Lord, once you part the river, I will be the first one through. And God says, I'll part the river when you stick your foot in. So the priests had to stick their foot in. Look at verse 9. So Joshua said to the children of Israel, Come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. Now that may not seem like a big point right there, but I think verse 9 is very interesting because if you're a leader, they're getting ready to go into battle. I mean, 40,000 men. You know, This is that time in the movie where the music starts in the background and it's a really dramatic scene. You know, And you've got this great speech. Have you ever seen the movie Patton? You know, you got uh, George C. Scott standing before the big American flag giving that great speech. And you start thinking, i got to think of something good to say. Joshua realized the best thing that I could say is verse 9, is come hear the words of the Lord your God. See, now, I get nervous sometimes teaching, but I never worry about what I'm going to say because it's going to be the Holy Spirit that does the talking, not me. If James is doing the teaching, there's going to be major problems left and right. But if the Holy Spirit's taking care of the teaching, well, you don't have to worry about it. God will take care of it. And see, this is the thing with Joshua. Come hear the words of the Lord your God. This is not Joshua giving a pep rally speech. This is what God has to say. And so he goes here, and he reminds everybody, you know, in verse 10, you're going to go out and you're going to take out the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Perizzites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Jebusites. And he says, we're going to cross over here. And as you cross over, then you're going to be on the other side and you're going to see that the Lord is going to take care of this. Look at verse 13. It shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priest who bear the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off, the waters that come down from upstream, and they shall stand 
as a heap. Now, isn't that fascinating? Verse 14, So it was when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan with the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as those who bore the Ark came to the Jordan, verse 15, and the feet of the priest who bore the Ark dipped into the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole time of harvest, that the waters which came down from upstream stood still and rose in a heap very far away at Adam, in that city that is beside Zaratan. So the waters that went down into the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, failed and were cut off, and the people crossed over opposite Jericho. See, this just wasn't, you know, like a little uh, swath. You know, we don't know for sure how long far away it was for sure, but Adam, from where they were here, near this Archaea Grove, Adam could have been up to 15 miles away. We don't know for sure. But it could have been up to 15 miles away. The whole point is this just wasn't, like I said, a little 10 by 20 section. God split this river all the way from the Salt Sea, the Dead Sea, up to this town of Adam. And look at verse 17. Then the priest who bore the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel crossed over on dry ground until all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan. Now do you see the repetition in verse 17? Dry ground. I think God's trying to make a point there. This is dry ground. That's how miraculous this parting of the water was. Because if you think about it, you're taking away those hundreds of thousands of gallons of water, you're going to be left with. We, I grew up in a, uh, we had a pond. And if you ever get down to the bottom of a pond, you know what it's like. Your feet just sink. <laughs> you guys know that. You just sink into whatever that is, and I don't want to think about whatever that is. But yet, now you're parting this river... It's dry ground. I'm sorry, I get caught up on those details. I just think that's absolutely amazing. And you just have this amazing picture here of these priests. And, and can you imagine being that first priest? You're just, you're, you got the Ark of the Covenant. You're just walking boldly towards the river. The river's not doing anything. And it's not until your foot touches the river, all of a sudden this huge wall of water just disappears and it's dry ground standing there. It's fascinating. And then the thing about the ark is the ark stands in the middle while everybody crosses around it. I think that's a picture of a couple things. I think it's a picture, number one, maybe, of leadership, the priest, faith. They're going to stand in the middle of this river because they have faith the water's not going to come crashing down on them. 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 says, Imitate me as I imitate Christ Jesus. Sometimes God is going to ask you to stand in the middle of the river as an example to other people. So when someone comes up to you and says, I can't, I can't imagine what you're going through. I, I couldn't do what you do. You're standing in the middle of the Jordan with the water up around you, and you can say, you know what, I'm standing here in dry ground on faith. Number two, it's a picture of God. He's not going to leave you hanging. He's not going to cross the river and say, okay, you guys get through as quick as you can. He's going to stand there in the middle of the storm and get you through it. And so often, when we go through those storms of life, we start feeling alone. We start feeling like God's not there. And I think this is a picture of the Lord is there, right in the middle, keeping the water from crashing down around you, keeping you on dry ground. But he just asks you this, trust me, keep moving, keep going forward. When I move, you move. When I stop, you stop. Don't get too far behind that you can't see me. And a lot of times I talk to people like, I don't know where the Lord wants me to go. I don't know what God wants me to do. It's a season of confusion. And I wonder sometimes, have we started lagging behind the ark too much? God moved, and he said, follow, and we didn't follow. We stayed where we were. And so after a while, we said, okay, I'm ready to get back with you, Lord. Okay, Lord, where are you at? 
Well, he's taking the ark up there. I don't want to say we've got to catch up to him, but that's why we've got to stay close to him to say, Lord, where do you want me to be? Where do you want me to go? And there's an amazing picture here of this Jordan crossing and a great picture of faith and a great picture of devotion on the nation of Israel going into war, staying close to their God. So I love Joshua chapter 3, and we're going to get into chapter 4 here real quick too, but does anybody have any quick questions, comments here about anything in Joshua 3 before we move on? Yeah, John. Oh, the um, water? That's quite possible. You know, it, it doesn't say for sure if that half mile is there for protection for them too, because you know there's other stories in the Bible where people are messing around with the ark and you don't want to get too near the ark. God was very particular in the Old Testament on being near him, where this is also a great picture for us today. We have immediate bold access to Jesus Christ. But you bring up a good point. If God was keeping this little bit of a safety zone, if you will, then he would maybe want you know a half mile each way either way too. Come boldly. Yeah. Yeah, no, we, we can open up the ark. Yeah, can I play with the manna, you know? Um, but back then, if they said, hey, can I see the manna? It's like, yeah, if you want to die, you know? So a little bit different ball game here. You know, we get to have that relationship with Jesus Christ that they wanted in the Old Testament, but due to that sin factor, they had to have that separation there. So that's a good point. Maybe that's why it was spread so wide. So anybody else have anything here? Yeah, Kathy. Where was, they were camped for three days back there in verse 2. Mm -hmm. You're asking why they camped for three days? Is there any significance to the three days? That's a good question. It's actually funny you mention that. I was just reading J. Vernon McGee, and J. Vernon McGee thinks, he thinks this is a picture of uh, death and resurrection. That's the way he looks at the crossing of the Jordan. Um, because he says, too, um, he goes into Corinthians, where they, he says everything that happened in the Old Testament was supposed to be a picture. And he looks at it as, this is just J. Vernon McGee's opinion, he looks at it as the Jordan being a picture of death, and that the Ark of the Covenant going in this water of death, making it life, dry ground, and then crossing through to the other hand on life. So I don't know if the three days could be a picture of something going along that idea of death and resurrection. I don't know. The more practical answer would probably be, since they're going to be going out to war for a long time, it gave the family more time to say their goodbyes and prepare to be going away for a while. I mean, these 40,000 men were going to be going now on a very long military campaign. And once the water crossed behind them, they were going to be cut off uh, provision-wise and also from their family. But you know what? The Bible says every jot and tittle of the world, word has some significance. There may be some significance to that three days thing. And somebody smarter than me may have an answer than that. Rose? I'm not smarter than you. But well, we know that. But, I mean, you don't have to, you don't have to admit it. I mean... Three days and three nights, yeah. And they actually brought that out when the, res the, the Jesus, you know, the, the tomb. Yep. Yeah. So there is something like we talk about 40 days, yeah. and then there's seven days, and then there's three days. There's, there's a name for it, a big name for it. Yeah, there is. And, and I don't remember the, the fancy name for it, but it's something to do with the numerology there. And, you know, like, yeah, 40 is supposed to be a time of testing. 12 is a number of completion. You know, there you got the 12 tribes. 7, also God's completion. But, yeah, 3, you see 3 a lot there. And there could be a deeper significance to that. There really could be. So anybody else want to admit they're not smarter than me? No? Okay. Just want to leave it open. Um, 
But moving on now to uh, Joshua 4. And Joshua 4, this, this whole chapter of Joshua 4, is about them taking stones to set up a monument. And, and I don't want to um, water it down, no pun intended, but it's a pretty simple point. But I just want to share this with you real quick. This is something I started doing about a year ago. Uh, last December, I had something really big happen in my life, and it was just one of those answered prayer things that was just amazing. And in my mind, and I started making this list of a memorial stone of every time the Lord has done something amazing. And so what I do is I keep track of these memorial stones. Because if you're like me, you have moments of where God is amazing, He answered this prayer, how wonderful it is, followed by a week of, well, God doesn't do anything. I don't see Him moving. I don't see anything happening. I don't see anything changing. The purpose of these memorial stones in Joshua 4 was they took stones smack dab from the middle of the river and they set up this monument, if you will, on the other side so that way there was always a visible picture to say, hey, remember what God did here. And if you're like me, I can get into what I call Ecclesiastes moments of just spiritual God, nothing's doing, Eeyore Christianity, whatever you want to call it. Set up some memorial stones in your life to remember of when God has done something. And I just had a situation happen a few weeks ago where just years, and I'm not kidding, there years of answered prayer finally happened, and it's like, Lord, I'm putting that on the memorial stone. Boy, you did something there. And so what he does here in Joshua 4 is he has somebody from each of the 12 tribes come, and as they're going through the river, grab a stone from right there in the middle of the river. Verse 3, Command them, saying, Take for yourself 12 stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet stood firm. You shall carry them over where you, and leave them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight. So take this stone. This isn't a stone from the bank of the river. This isn't a stone that I wade in and I grab one. This is a stone from the middle of the river that you would not be able to normally get to. And God says, that's what I want you to take, and it's supposed to be a sign. Look at verse 6. That these may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, saying, what do these stones mean? Then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be for a memorial to the children of Israel forever. Boy, set up those memorial stones in your life. Real quick, if you would, would, uh, would you turn to um, Psalm 22? Psalm 22. Remember, the whole purpose of God doing something amazing in your life is so you can go tell somebody else about it. That's the whole purpose of it. When God does something amazing in your life, don't hide the light under the bushel basket. He's done something amazing in your life so you can go tell somebody else. See, so often we're afraid to share those victories because sometimes those things that God has done amazing in our life is really a sin in our own part. I know of times where God has done amazing healings and marriages. And it's like, man, you should go tell somebody. It's like, oh, no. You know, no one really knew we were struggling. Yeah, but God did. And look what he did. Or somebody may have finally had victory over that sin. And it's like, man, you need to go tell people what God did. Yeah, well, I didn't really want people to know I was struggling with that. Yeah, but God has done something amazing in your life. And the purpose of that amazing thing is so you can be an encouragement and a light to other people. Because what happens in life is when the going gets tough and that depression and discouragement get the best of us, our memories become very short. And we start forgetting everything God did. Look at Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? My God, I cry in the daytime and you do not hear it in the night season. Am not silent. 
This is what is called a messianic psalm. This is written by David, but obviously David never was crucified. And if you finish the rest of Psalm 22, this is a messianic prophetic psalm of Christ. And you know what you have here in verses 1 and 2? I can relate to verse 1 and 2. I have, there is times where I felt forsaken from the Lord. There's times where I felt like I'm crying out to God and He doesn't hear. There's times where I feel like, Lord, I feel so empty spiritually and so dry spiritually. I can relate to verses 1 and 2. What's the answer to this? Verse 3, But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you, they trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. What does he do in verses 3 through 5? He goes back and he remembers all the time that God took care of Israel. So when you have that Psalm 22, 1 and 2 verse moment there of, My God, you've forsaken me. The best thing you can do is sit back and look at your memorial stone and say, yeah, but Lord, you did answer this prayer that one time. I got this one person, and man, I I really love this person. I really do. But every time the going gets tough, this person throws the towel in spiritually. And every time they throw the towel in, they call me to tell me they're quitting being a Christian. And every time they do that, I always tell them, look at everything God has done for you. God hasn't done anything. And I say, no, I've known you for 10 years, and I'll just start listing every single thing God has done. And when you start stopping and thinking, yeah, Lord, you did get me through that. Yeah, Lord, you did get me through this. It's hard to stop and say, okay, God, you're not doing anything. That's the purpose of the memorial stones, is to remind you in the dark times of life, God is still moving, God is still doing something. And you know what? You need to hear that yourself personally, but now jump back to Joshua 4. Not only do you need to hear that, The next generation needs to hear this. Look at verse 21 of Joshua 4. Then he spoke to the children of Israel, saying, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, Why are these stones? What are these stones? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over the Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed over, that all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Just as we sang tonight in that first song, God is mighty there, mighty to save. And you know what? That's the purpose of it. It's not to only remind you, but to remind your kids, your friends, your family members, your coworkers, whatever. God has done something in my life. And you know what? There's going to be times where I forget that, and that's why I need those memorial stones to remind me the Lord is still moving, the Lord is still working. That's why we need that. One other quick point here I just want to say. God will hold the water back as long as he needs to. See, I always start to worry that the water is going to come crashing down on me. God says, I'll take care of holding the water back. Lord, I I couldn't handle another thing. God, if one more thing comes into my life, I'm not going to be able to handle it. God says, I know that. I'll hold the water back. You just stay near the Ark of the Covenant. You just stay on the dry ground. And the thing I love about the dry ground, this is my last point, I thought back to um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they got thrown in the fiery furnace. If you remember that story from Daniel 3, they get thrown in the fiery furnace, but they get pulled out. And you remember what they said that nothing was scorched, nothing was burned on them. And remember, they didn't even smell like smoke. See, they didn't even smell like smoke. You would not even be able to tell Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in this fiery furnace. Nothing was burned, nothing was scorched, nothing even smelled like smoke. If you guys have been camping, you burn trash, you're around a campfire for five minutes, everything stinks. You know that. See, the dry land, there's, ah, yeah, dry land. 
That's the purpose of the memorial stone. Yeah, dry land. That reminds me of that. Just as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't even smell like smoke, that amazing miracle, God says, I'm not even just going to part the Jordan. I'm not going to get you through safely. It's going to be dry ground while you walk on it. Boy, that's what the Lord does. He meets our needs. He takes care of us. He keeps the waters from crashing down on us. The only thing he says is, when I move, you move. Follow me. I wouldn't want to be the soldier that said, oh, I see the ark moving. I'll catch up. No. When God moves, I move. And then you stay close to the Lord. And as you stay close to the Lord, he'll take care of you and get you through it. That's what happens. Anybody have any final questions, comments here on Joshua 3 or 4? Yeah, Rose. The ropes were burned. That's what the sit that found them up. Yeah, the ropes were burned. Yeah. Yeah, see, you are smarter than me. Yes, the ropes, yes, that's a good point. The ropes were burned. So you get thrown in the fiery furnace. The only thing that burns up is the thing that's tying you down and holding you back. And, and that's a cool point there, too. Good point. Anybody else have anything to say? Yeah. Let me write that down real quick because I'm keeping track. Okay. Yeah, it's a messianic prophetic psalm. Mm-hmm. Yep, that is called a messianic prophetic psalm. It was written through David by the Spirit, but it's really uh, it's a picture of what Jesus was going through on the cross. None of Jesus' bones were broken. They weren't broken. Yeah, because my heart is wax, it's melted within me. Some people actually believe when they pierced Jesus' side, when the blood and water flowed. You know, I'm not going to go on and say this is a statement of fact, but I've heard teachings say before, and they're smarter than me, that when that type of stuff happens, that you're dealing almost with a bursted you know, heart on the inside, and that's kind of what it's talking about. And you've got to remember, too, when it says all my bones are out of joint, that joint is a very interesting word. When we think of bones being out of joint, we have a certain idea of what that is. You know, bones being out of joint does not necessarily carry the same medical idea that we're carrying right now of something being out of joint. It's more talking about when Jesus was hanging on the cross. You've got to think of the way they had him hanging with the feet over feet and the hands like this. You know, his bones were out of joint in the sense of his whole body was, was messed up, for lack of a better word. So if you check out that word joint, it's not necessarily carrying the same medical term that we consider of, hey, my shoulder's out of joint, my elbow's out of joint type of thing. But it's key to note that Jesus, his bones were not broken. That's the key point there, too. Yeah, that's the whole point is this. What it physically did to the man, the physical body, I mean, it's unbelievable when you did what the crucifixion did. And you think of that position that they had him in. You know what? I don't know what term you would use, but your bones are out of joint. It's not right. That's not the way your body is supposed to be hanging. And the physical discomfort of just that, for getting the piercings through the hands, is actually a horrible position to be in, too. Yeah? Yeah, I've read um, that you're suffocating because you're hanging from your own yeah. body plate, so you push up on your feet that little platform there, so your feet are nailed down, and eventually the pain overwhelms the desire to live, and so you just basically... Yeah, it's a horrible thing because you're absolutely right. What they had to do is push themselves up to breathe, just like you're saying there. But you've got to remember from the picture of Christ, uh, he also just taken the 39 lashes in his back. 
And so as he's pushing himself up on the cross, he's pushing his back up on the cross. And the, and the cross was not nicely stained, varnished wood like we're dealing with. And you're pushing yourself up. And how are you pushing yourself up? You have a nail between your two feet that you're using as a point of leverage. So to push yourself up, you're pushing yourself off of a nail between your two feet on a back that's already laid and ripped open. And that's how you have to breathe. And that's where when it comes to the broken bones, what happened was is when these people took too long to die, they went around and busted their knees, and therefore now you had to push yourself up with broken knees. But when they came to go do that to Jesus, they said he was already dead, so hence his bones weren't broken. Yeah, Ryan. Yeah. It is. And you know, the thing is, so often we, we see the pictures, now that we're totally off subject here, of the nails through the hand. And let's not be gross here, but if you put a nail through the hand, it's going to rip right through. There's, a, there's actually a little spot in your wrist that uh, there's, you can put the nail between two uh, bones there, so that way the, your actual bones keep yourself from going. I mean, it's a horrible, horrible, despicable thing. It's, it's horrible what he went through. So, anybody else have any other questions, comments here before we close up? Right. Yeah. Steph. Um, how's this for a great answer? I haven't been to the Jordan for a while. Um, so, you know, but you've got to remember a lot of times when it says in the Bible that those stones are still there to this day, it's to the day of the time it was writing back then. Uh, the stones are still there for a while. They were. I mean, because that's what the Bible says, just like a lot of these memorials are there for a while. But you know what? We know how the story ends. The nation of Israel loses its focus on the Lord, and so that whole memorial to the stones probably didn't mean anything to them after a while. So, but good question, though. All right, yeah. One other thing. Yeah. That's <laughs> okay. When you say stone, they're, they're telling him, or Joshua is saying, put them upon your shoulder. Mm -hmm. These aren't just little stones. Yeah, I, I, yeah, that's the thing is I, I don't think they're going around and saying, oh, this is a cute little pebble. You know, they're, they're picking up something. Yeah, because, you know, the, the pictures we see of the memorials they built back then, they're, they're good-sized stones stacked upon each other. Yeah. Um, once again, this is not just finding a cute little skipping stone. Yeah. They wanted something big enough, you know, big enough to see. So God deserved it. All right, let's go ahead and close with a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for the time, and I just pray, uh, Lord, as we get ready to cross the Jordans of life, help us in faith to keep walking. Help us to stick close to you, that Ark of the Covenant, Lord, and help us just to trust you. And Lord, help us not to forget the great things you do. Lord, we love you and we thank you in your name. Amen. All right, if we get some people to help stick around, split the chairs and clear the